Hello and welcome to the No Ordinary Tech podcast, a safe space for real people in tech to engage in real talk, sharing their hot takes on everything from new schools of thought on things like green software engineering to how smart technologies are about to change our lives. I'm your host, Georgie Barrett, tech journalist and broadcaster, and with me today is Tim Porter and Ganesh Sharma. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about how the world has only seen the tip of the iceberg when it comes to biometric technologies. Tim and Ganesh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Now, before we get into biometrics, I'd love to hear about what you both do at Lloyd's Banking Group. Ganesh, let's start with you. So I am part of security architecture team where I look at access management systems we use for bank uh, colleagues as well as the customers. And we design and uh, implement those systems. How about you, Tim? Yeah, I'm part of the uh, Chief Security Office security architecture team, um, helping the various business areas design their solutions, which includes like mobile banking apps and all these kind of things. Do you work both with biometrics on a regular basis? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it varies depending on the application, whether it's required or not. So I would say biometrics can sometimes be a little bit of a misunderstood area. So so let's start from the very, very start. What do we mean when we talk about biometrics? So when we talk about biometrics, I would say it is individuals' physical and behavioral data, which we can use to uniquely identify those. And that's what we mean by biometric authentication. And there's some pretty... Pretty crazy stuff that you can use out there, isn't there, Tim, that you can try and identify people with? Yeah, the scientists have been finding loads of weird things like your, your body odour, um, how do you walk, how do you write? There's there's loads of things out there, but just what's practical? Or what's, <laughs> yeah, thumbprint what, feels a little bit more practical yes. than your body odour, for example. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so as well as like the body odour, you might want to look at how people hold the phone or use the phone, how That's you write. interesting. So how I hold my phone or type on it or scroll yes. on it is unique to me. Yes, if you do enough patterns for it, yeah. Wow. How you press the keys will be left hand, right hand, up, down, how do you hold it? But that will identify me over anybody well, else in the country. It's degrees of accuracy you okay. get, so you have to look at um, how accurate you want to identify a person. Combine that with my unique body odour, then you'll know it's me for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Each week we have something called a hot take, which is a statement that we put to our guests, and it's really designed to get the conversation going. So our hot take this week is obviously to do with biometrics, and it is, as cybercrime and online fraud becomes more sophisticated, biometric technology is the only way to guarantee security. What do you guys make of that statement? Do you think that's true? No, I would disagree to that. And the thing is that the technology which is making biometrics more convenient and usable, the same technology can then be used to break it down and uh, um, make make it fail, basically. So uh, for that reason, I think biometrics is great, but it has to be blended with other things to give a best uh, security solution against these attacks. So biometric data alone isn't strong enough to hold up against, you know, cybercrime and online fraud. I'd agree. It, it's how, how much do you want to protect? So um, people, even when you're using your phone, when you want to unlock your phone, does it work every time? Probably not. So that's your biometrics being used. So And then how can it be defeated as well as time? So you just have, um, or even if depending on what you're using, your hand's dirty, your biometrics may not work or whatever. So there's all these kind of things to consider. So what are the options for people to make it easy? But biometric data on the whole provides a lot of advantages to people. Why do you guys like to use biometric data? What does it offer? The key thing is uh, convenience, right? I mean, how do people know me? 
Um, in real world, they just look at my face and they would know who am I, who I am. So the same way the systems or, or uh, you know, wherever we use biometric data for authentication, it creates convenience and uh, as well as it um, gives a higher level of assurity that, that, you know, if it was my user ID password, if I share it with you, it doesn't give, you know, the high level of assurity, but I, can e I can't easily give you my thumbprint or my face. So, so convenience with security makes it uh, a better solution. Yeah, and it's familiarity as well. People have got used to using it to you, you, to access the phone yeah. and all the mobile apps on it. So. It's a hell of a lot easier than trying to remember passwords, yeah. isn't it? Or just doing a pattern or your PIN number to unlock your phone. Yeah, it's so it's so much more frictionless. Well, thinking about my phone, um, yeah, as you said, started with a thumbprint, didn't it? And then it moved on to facial recognition. What's next? I would say rather than having some big change in, in how we use and and um, collect biometric data and, and do the authentication, I think rather than what's big next uh, big thing, I, I would say there would be advancements in how you do it. So how you take somebody's thumbprint is more important and will become bigger thing compared to do we use your DNA to authenticate you? Probably that I wouldn't expect. That would be a bit further down the road, maybe. Yeah. Or you may not use it at all. DNA, nah, just it's stick just with the what's face. What's practical. Yeah, yeah what's practical, <laughs> indeed. So when you say that that will get better, talk me through that. So as, as the technology advances in terms of hardware, that, you know, how do you capture somebody's thumbprint, whether it is just a photograph or uh, a 3D print of it, or the camera you use, which is getting better and better, you know. Now, nobody uses a digital camera, everybody is using their phone. So as it advances, alongside with it, the technology also advances in terms of artificial intelligence and machine learning that the systems are more stronger and quick to, to identify and process the data. And that is what is coming, I, I would say. But still, you know, I'm thinking the example of facial recognition on my phone. If I'm wearing a mask during the pandemic or I've got my sunglasses on, often it doesn't recognise me. Is that going to get a little bit better? How do we get that level of accuracy? I think it'd be more get, capturing more data points. So as the cameras have got better, you've got higher definition. So you can maybe recognise um, people's eyes. So is there any iris recognition going on there? Because that could be then... Um, get more information about the user who's trying to be um, authenticated to the application or whatever it is. So there's definite benefits there. We've talked about the benefits. Let's move on to the risks, because there are genuine risks when it comes to biometric data. Can you outline some of the top ones? So I would add two things there. One is that if you capture a lot of biometric data of a lot of people and store it centrally somewhere, then you know protection and privacy of that is a big challenge. And the second thing I wanted to add around the challenge is that as the technology advances, you know, the bad guys also use the same technology to break in. So with the various kind of technologies, they can spoof uh, biometrics. So, okay. yeah, these are the two challenges, I would say. Let's dig into those a little bit more. So so the first one is is if you have this, you know, centralized database of everyone's biometric, then it could be vulnerable to 
being hacked somehow. How do you guys get around that? Because there couldn't be more personal data than someone's banking. You don't want that being hacked. Yeah, because we hold, we hold lots of information, but we read some information we don't don't want to hold. So we're allowing it kept locally with the device. So Apple has secure chips on the phones which can store the information. So we, we rely on that as part of the testing. And it's all open standards. People can understand that. So we'll say, yes, we rely on this. We do not want to keep a copy of your face. So when I use my, my facial recognition to open my bank app, that's you don't hold that data that's just on my phone yeah that it's has unique that data. to your device and, and the app is unique to your phone as well so if, if someone did steal the phone they only steal one person's piece of information mm-hmm. um, whilst if, if we had a big database say of everyone in the uk that's a big problem because all of a sudden it's, it's been compromised or even if they've got unauthorized access to it they can make changes to it so swap someone else's biometric information for for someone else so they can pretend to be people so it's better to have it on a a local level so i guess that would be a huge risk if if we introduce something like you know national id cards um and there's one centralized place where that's all stored then that could pose quite a big risk yeah you have to make all maintaining the integrity of all the data and everything else there yeah ganesh you also spoke about the fact that you know our biometric data could be spoofed in some way um could you talk me through how that how people go about doing that um is this is deep fakes going to play a role in this in the future what 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 risks are around that yeah absolutely i think um the technology which is used to make deep fakes basically uh making videos and audio look exactly same as it would be in real life the same way your thumbprints or your uh um you know facial scans could be spoofed using the same kind of models we we use to generate those and then using that uh people can hack in and and one of the examples is like taking a lot of brute force attacks taking a lot of fingerprints and trying them out and you know if you go with all kind of permutations as we go with password there is you a potential may- you can break in yeah how do you get around that net- I know I know sometimes you know you have to you have to actually like blink into the camera and things like that it d- does that help stop those things happening um yeah absolutely i think the things are are getting better and mature and then with uh, like facial scan they add a, a technology called as a liveliness check so rather than you know taking a photo of it what they do is they they take a lot more details of your face that how deep your eyes are and you know where the various uh, aspects of face uh, are and and it's building you know 3d model of the thing rather than just a just a easy easy uh, data point so the the more mature it is the more models you build around it um the better it is are there any other cases tim of of spoofing that you can name yeah there's been um, attacks um, many years ago when it was very basic fingerprint centers um, you could use like I think there was one for a, like a jelly baby in America you could just take a copy it's just it, they weren't very good hence they weren't in, in widespread use but as technologies evolved hang on talk me through the jelly baby technique it would just be taking a copy of a fingerprint in, in some gel so a, a jelly baby is equivalent of it, like a bit of a gel isn't it so if you could get a copy of someone's fingerprint um, that's the kind of attack you could do but there's more advanced technology I was going to say yeah. when, I, when I posed yeah. that question to you I was imagining some like really yeah. sophisticated no. you know piece of AI but you're like no just get a jelly baby yeah. and it will uh, be many to years the- ago <laughs> okay. but, but the newer ones they're using 3D, 3D printers into gel so there's been some research in China I think in the last month or two around how to how to produce a copy of a fingerprint and then how to reuse that so there's there's lots of uh, interesting research going on in this how to improve from a protection point of view which could also be misused as well so so how do you improve it i think it's just improving the quality of the sensors so we're, a lot of time we rely on the hardware manufacturers so samsung uh, 
Um, they're bringing out an ultrasonic sensor in the latest phones. Um, Apple have got the better cameras, so they're doing that. They don't just look at um, like a 2D picture. It's looking at distance and all these kind of things you can do as well. So You're quite reliant on the, the hardware doing its thing there. So you spoke about not wanting to be in charge of people's biometric data because it makes it vulnerable to hacking. Um, are, is there some bits that you do store? Um, and if so, how do you make sure that it's stored in a safe and transparent manner? We know where people live. So you're normally based in the UK. So if, if you're trying to make um, a payment and if you're in the UK, yeah, it's quite risky. And if you've paid them before, so you've paid your Octopus Energy bill or whoever, um, we, we, can, we can see that. But if it's a new new payee, so someone I've not met before, that's a bit more risky. And then all of a sudden I'm in South Africa. Mm, that's a bit more unusual. So it's working out what's unusual for that user. So at that point, you then when we do other checks, you may put a hold on the payment and then phone them up to say, do you really do this? Is it you? Okay. So it's not just relying on that. So that's sort that. of, you know, behavioural patterns that you're yes. looking at, being like, okay, this doesn't look like you because you don't usually behave in this manner, i.e. buying a whole load of random stuff in South Africa. Yeah. Got you. And we also store, like, your device data, so we know what kind of phone you use and... Uh there are details, technical, like IP addresses and some data around your device. So we fingerprint it. But for that, we do take consent from users. Okay. Yeah. It's like going to any website. They know when you're connecting from a Windows machine versus an Apple Mac. Every web every web browser says what you're doing and where you're connecting from. If you're connecting from Virgin Media or BT or whoever, all that information is just sent as part of the request. And Ganesh, you, you mentioned consent there, which is probably quite an important part of the conversation because, you know, when you're dealing with biometric data, it is incredibly personal, isn't it? Um, how do we educate people that, you know, biometric data is the right way to do stuff and, and, and to really build that trust with, with consumers? I think it comes with a bit of education and, and building the trust. So we have to educate whether it is our colleagues or customers that, you know, there is certain type of data we do not store your data. And then we advertise, you know, the government laws around GDPR and so on, saying that, you know, before we store any kind of your data, we take your consent so you can read through it and you know exactly what we are doing. And at the same time, advertise it as a convenience and then make them feel that it is more secure to use their face or thumbprint instead of their password mm -hmm. or, or PIN, which can be easily stolen. And yeah, that that with the trust and convenience, probably we can win over the hearts. I mean, the other thing that comes to mind when we're speaking about biometric data and the sort of the risks around it, maybe why people don't want to, to sign up to something like that, is the fact that it, if it is stolen, you can't, unlike a password, you can't reset your biometric data. Um, what, what happens if, if there is some sort of, you know, security leak of, of that particular data? How do you combat that? I think this is where we say you have to have better sensors over time, but also we might say one method is not suitable anymore. So if, if something isn't sufficiently secure, we'll say, okay, we don't want to use that in the future. So if, if someone's using an old-style camera that doesn't have the necessary quality, would we really want to do that? So it's to protect people as well. Yeah, it almost goes back to that arms race that you were sort of mentioning of between, you know, you just having to stay one step ahead the whole time of, of whoever's wanting to use these kind of technologies to do harm or, or, or to hack. To finish things off, you know, what does the future look like in terms of biometrics? What are you really excited about happening in this space? I would say it is more around artificial intelligence, which can... Um, 
build models around how do we capture data and how do we authenticate users and also um, advancement in the hardware technology can process the things way quicker compared to the past right so that that is what i'm looking for the models can only just only get better we'll have more data points so better quality cameras fingerprint readers and these kind of things and then the the ai machine learning can understand what what's the most um effective points to recognize so is it the, the eye color and all these other kind of things we may not pick up on now they may be able to recognize in the future well Tivin ganesh thank you so much for joining us today and speaking about biometrics thank you George. thank you and thank you again to our audience for listening do make sure you join us for the next episode where we're going to be weighing up the pros and cons of technology's impact on our mental health also, if you want to learn more about our available roles in tech and transformation, do go to lloydsbankinggroup.com forward slash careers.